Welcome to Cloud Native Startup, where we explore what it takes to build a company in the open source cloud native ecosystem. I am Emily Omir, your host, and today I'm chatting with Eric, the IT guy, Hendricks, who is a technical marketing manager at Red Hat. And I think he's going to have some really cool marketing and marketing for engineer insights. So thank you, Eric, for joining me. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Emily. Thank you. So I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself a little bit, but introduce yourself, but then also tell me a little bit about how you came to be a marketer and what you were doing beforehand. So first thing that people find interesting about my background is never did I imagine being in sales or marketing or in anything other than a technical guy behind a terminal. I went to college to be in in network operations and my certification background is 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 technical. I've got my RHCSA and and uh, my Red Hat Certified Systems Administrator uh, certification. And uh, I didn't think coming out of college that I do anything except run uh, large data centers, manage servers. As I got up in years, I thought maybe I'd be uh, you know an architect. I'd be I'd be designing some of these major systems that run these multifaceted applications. And in fact, when you mentioned marketing, I like to point out that I hated speech class. I hated writing book reports in school. It was just not something that I do. And if I went back in time and I told myself, hey, <laughs> you know these book reports you dread? Guess what? You're going to write blog posts for a living. And you know the speeches you hate giving in class? Well, guess what? You're going to be a live streamer. You're going to be a podcaster. You're going to, you're going to go to conferences and talk to people. I, I just did a, uh, a technical training session uh, yesterday with an audience of, I think, 380 people from Red Hat. And it was just like, I never imagined in all my years that I would ever do anything like this. So so I, I like to tell people I'm a technologist at heart. I'm a systems administrator and an open source advocate before all else. It just happens that with my personality and with the skills that I've, I've picked up over the years, that that kind of translated from the terminal into, into marketing. So at what point did you move into marketing? It definitely wasn't like a turning point moment. It's been fairly gradual. I started out in, in help desk right out of college and moved into desktop administration, then server administration, then specialized a couple of years into Linux administration. I did that for about a year with small businesses, government agencies, contracting, full-time employee. And I, I just got to the point where I didn't have the impact that I was I was wanting. I wanted to change company culture. I wanted to change the way that we were we are doing business uh, within the companies that I work for. It's one thing to be a systems administrator and keep the lights on, but it's another thing to feel driven to how do we make this better? Instead of fighting fires, instead of instead of these on-call rotations where you basically put your life on hold for, for seven days or, or for two weeks or, or whatever the case may be, how can we change our company's way of doing things? How can we change how operations is seen by changing our, our just the way we look at technology? And as a systems administrator, as an individual contributor, I didn't feel like I had that. So I experimented with with starting my own business and doing IT consulting. And that started to get to kind of that next phase where it's like, okay, this is cool. I got a few clients. I got a couple more in the pipe. Let's double down. And so I was getting ready to leave my full-time employer and start my own business and be a consulting guy and and I figured for anything that I didn't want to do, I just I'd hire it out. I I had buddies that were network administrators and Windows administrators, and then I found out that my my first kid was on the way, and it's like eh, probably not a good time to to change career paths. 
So instead, I did something equally crazy. I started being a guest on different podcasts, started out in community-focused stuff, really got involved with the open source community. I worked with the Gnome Foundation at, at a couple of their conferences and social media, and I helped a buddy of mine as a guest a few times get his podcast up and running. You know, as you're trying to grow a following and that kind of thing, you just need content to, to bring people in. And so I, I jumped on as a guest a few times, and and uh, his, his name was Noah, and Noah really pushed me. He said, you you really understand your audience. You really should consider doing your own thing, you know, starting your own show. And, and so it, it took me a couple of years to get there, but we launched, uh, a buddy of mine and I launched the Pseudo Show podcast, which uh, is, is how you and I met, Emily. We interviewed someone you were consulting with and they said, hey, we've got a great cloud native consultant that's working with us on our marketing and our, more of our positioning. You should talk to her. And so, you know, you and I, my gosh, that was what, two years ago now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think it was that long ago. I think it was only a year ago, maybe even less. <laughs> but yes, it, you've actually sort of outlined for listeners sort of the process that a lot of founders go through, actually, to mm -hmm. become known, basically. And a lot of what you're talking about is like classic DevRel, mm -hmm. going to conferences, doing technical trainings. And in fact, it's it's sort of interesting because there's a there's this this line and nobody knows where it is, I've asked, between DevRel and marketing. Mm -hmm. But they are sort of like different sides of the same coin. So at what point or was there even a point where you started to see yourself and uh, just as importantly, actually, because your employer now appears to see you as a marketer, like at what point did you see yourself and did other people see you as more of a marketer than a guy behind a terminal? Great question. So I mentioned working on getting a podcast off the ground and being in operations for, for over a decade. And uh, as I was getting more involved in the community, I was starting to meet people that were involved in marketing. I was starting to meet people that were in, in sales specifically. And so I, I think the moment that that changed was I went to a conference, a DevOps conference here in Kansas City, where I was born and raised. And I went up to, to a booth and it's like, oh, hey, I, I know this logo. We, we use their software every day to manage our, our salt stack scripts. And so I got chatting with a guy and, and uh, that company was GitLab. And GitLab at the time was, they were exiting their scrappy startup stage. And there's this whole hashtag move to GitLab that really made their, their business explode. And I won't forget the moment that my entire career changed. I was just telling them how frustrated I was with operations and how differently things could be if we followed different development and operations strategies. And, and when I kind of got done with my rant, because hearing all these, all these startups that were now these giant corporations that did things differently, they followed DevOps, they used agile practices, very short, very quick iterations. I was like, this, this is it. I didn't, I mean, that's how I got into the DevOps movement was, Oh my gosh, all these things that I've been pushing my businesses to do, there's actually a name and a movement and books around this stuff. And now there's certifications. Holy cow. And so it's just like, I won't forget it. His name was Adam. He looked me in the eye and he goes, you need to go home tonight and apply to GitLab because we need someone with your energy. We need someone with, with your understanding of the operations problem and how to talk to developers and, and how to talk to ITDMs, your IT decision makers. And so I did. I went home. I put in my application. I was considered for a TAM role, technical account manager. And then I was actually interviewed for a pre-sales technical position, a solutions architect position. So I ended up going with the, with the SA role, which I felt was like enabling 
sysadmins and developers on how to use the GitLab tool. And so about a year later, I had a buddy of mine call me up and go, you know, hey, we could really use you. My, my boss just outlined an idea for a position for we've got all these ideas around campaigns and we, we want to do like road shows to talk about some of the new new software and new solutions that we have here at Red Hats and you should apply. I was like, well, I, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good thing going here at, at GitLab and I'm getting in deeper with the technology and I love the people and the culture here at GitLab. But, you know, hey, I mean, Red Hat, that's Red Hat is as a vendor indirectly paid for my salary for years as a, as a sysadmin. It's like I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to go work for for the company that made my career, basically. And so much to my shock, I, I got the role. And so I moved from Solutions Architect to GitLab to Solutions Architect for uh, Red Hat in the telecommunications space. Was there for about a year and was, was starting to kind of, if I was making these slide decks and, and writing blog posts to previous chapter, Eric, you know, if I was writing a blog post that, that my, my previous self as a sysadmin would, would find useful, what would I say? What voice would I take? What features would I point out? And writing a lot of that content and, and kind of taking the quote-unquote official marketing decks and that kind of thing and, and kind of cannibalizing them for myself. I'd share that back with a marketing team and literally, I think it was almost 18 months to the day of working at Red Hat, I moved over into marketing. And I've got to tell you, Emily, I'm just, I have never been in a position where I have felt more engaged, more more utilized, where I feel like all of my skills and all of my experiences have gone into a role, have have really enabled me to be my my best career self. I mean, it's it is a completely different experience to wake up at a job where you feel like you are heard, where you feel like you're valuable. I never thought that would happen. And and here at Red Hat and here as part of the Rel BU, the Rel business unit, I really feel that nowadays. So, of course, I want everyone who's listening who thinks of marketing for developers as BS to, like, pay attention to that. <laughs> well, to, to that point, to those people that are listening, I agree. <laughs> and I work in marketing. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Don't tell Red Hat I said that. Seriously, though, there's this stigma around marketing where it's just it's all buzzwords and it's all people talk about buzzword bingo. And, and I'm one of those people. We talk about... Probably my favorite term right now to throw around is edge. Everything's edge now. Everything's 5G. Everything's just all these terms that are overused or applied to environments where they don't really fit. So one of the things that I do as, as a technical marketer is I kind of sit at one of the corners of a triangle. We've got the product marketing team that really focuses on the message on what value do we bring our customers. It's I don't want to say it's more C-suite focused. I, I don't want to say it's, it's IT DM only, but they approach an issue from that direction. For myself as a technical marketer, I draw very, very heavily on my operations background of if we're talking to a room full of sysadmins, are they going to care? Is this going to speak to them and their daily needs? Yeah, it, it may be great that this product or this feature brings you more ROI or plays better with SEO or in any of these terms that we think about in marketing. But is that really going to make much of a difference? Is this going to help make a sysadmin's job easier? Can they take this feature to their boss and say, this is why we need to pay for this product? And then there's the product manager 
who is sort of the corner of the triangle that leads into engineering. They work on, in my case, how do we develop our operating system? What features do we need? And the three of us work together in what we call a pod. So the three of us work together and we kind of go on a use case by use case basis. We talk a lot about user stories. We talk a lot about value of subscription and how does all that apply to a particular use case? And of course, I won't throw Edge under the bus without kind of bringing that home. But instead of just talking about Edge, let's talk about a real use case. Let's talk about someone who's sitting at, at a sports event and they want real-time stats on their all-time favorite player. You know, I, I grew up a diehard Royals fan and a Chiefs fan. So football and, and baseball are huge here in Kansas City. So if I'm sitting watching Patrick Mahomes throw a, a touchdown pass and I want to know what is his completion percentage within the red zone here to score a touchdown and I want to pull up stats right then and there and I'm talking to and I'm talking to a group of systems administrators whose jobs it is to support the infrastructure you don't want to have a data center out on the west coast if you're trying to provide data to an event in the middle of Kansas City and of course the more the more time sensitive that is I mean we're we're looking at a world where self-driving cars are outside the realm of possibility a lot of that edge jargon gets thrown around willy-nilly, but until you really bring it down to, to ground level, you know, marketing is about how do we balance the 40,000-foot view of what is your company's vision, what are you trying to accomplish, to the ground-level view of these are the bits and bytes, these are the actual processes, these are the actual features that our customers need to know. And one of the things that I'm, I do a lot in my job is how do we tie all of those things together? Having been an ops guy for a long time, I draw very heavily on that experience of how does this feature play into the use cases? We do studies, not just Red Hat, but kind of the industry does studies of what are the top skills or what are the top problems that we're trying to solve in the industry today? And tying those, those studies into the product roadmap and how do we tell a compelling story that kind of fits all together? So to developers and sysadmins out there that, or if maybe you have a developer that works for you or a sysadmin that works for you that think that marketing isn't, isn't a viable job, then I, I highly recommend you look at some of the stuff that we've been producing in, in RHEL and see how you can do your content differently because it can make a difference. And I come to work every day believing that the, the content that I'm doing, the live streams that I'm hosting, the interviews, the blog posts are going to make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, you know, I think you've brought up so many things that are really interesting. Well, let me start with the the first thing that I thought of is that as an industry, we we definitely sometimes, particularly with like the newer concepts, have like a shared vocabulary problem because <laughs> right. the edge use case that you just outlined is actually not something that would have like I would not have labeled that edge because I always think of edge as being like more industrial, like your oil rig mm -hmm. or like your sensor on your train or your, I don't know. So I, I don't think of it as something that somebody like a person, I don't think of it as something like a mobile device type of operation. So it's something that I think is a challenge when you're dealing with really like bleeding edge technology is that you can have people who take a different view of a concept like related, but different enough that the interpretation can be totally different. But you also brought up something that I think is very interesting in terms of something that startups struggle with a lot, which is you can have a message that resonates super well with the sysadmins, for example, 
But then they go to their boss and are like, hey, we need to buy this thing. We need to pay money for it. And the boss is like, why? And sometimes there's not as good of a message for an economic buyer. How do you handle that at, at Red Hat? Or is that even part of your job? Are you kind of just focused on like your, your job is getting the users? Because um, sometimes <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's important too. That's definitely a problem that's not unique to Red Hat by any stretch of the imagination, either side of that story. How do you how do you equip your sales force to to address those situations, sort of that value beyond a dollar? What does this bring me? What does this save me? But also from a sysadmin perspective, I had to rely on community-driven open source projects to get some of the functionality that I needed. Because a lot of times as a sysadmin, we didn't have a lot of budget. You know, it's it's one of those questions of we've had the lights on in this data center for 10 years and we've never needed this before. Why do we need it now? So that's not a conversation that I have in a day to day basis. And that's one of the conversations I dreaded having as as a salesperson. But to address that problem as a marketer, especially as a technical marketer, I would say that my approach is most definitely to provide my field and and as someone who dabbles in, in live stream and social as well. How do I equip the field and how do I equip my champions, people that love our product, that work for our customers or want their company to be a customer? How do I equip those groups of people with all of the facts, with all the information that they could need? How do I equip it in a way that's digestible, that's shareable, so that if I have a champion at company XYZ that really thinks having RHEL for, say, Red Hat Insights, to have that proactive analytics, if I can provide them with a... a best word I can think of is digestible. Look at a study that was done that says this long of an outage costs this much money. But if you have a proactive monitoring tool like Red Hat Insights built into your Red Hat Enterprise Linux subscription, how can that help our business avoid unexplained expenditures? And by providing all the features and all the studies and everything in a digestible format, whether that's an hour long live stream or a webinar or in a white paper or blog post or uh, ebook, if I can help produce an asset like that and hand it to the field for them to share with their customers, or if I can make that available in a public format so that champions and sysadmins can go in and show it to their boss and go, hey, look, you know that outage we had last month that cost us like $2 million? If we would have known we had this, this bug in our software code or in our operating system or, or whatever the case may be, if we knew ahead of time we could have avoided that, and, you know, hey, this is already built into our subscription or maybe this product costs us $10,000 a year. It becomes very easy to have those conversations either with your customer or with your with your boss to go. Yeah, let's let's see. An hour long outage costs us two million dollars or this software for a year costs us ten thousand dollars. You do the math. Yeah. One of the things that I always talk about is that some sysadmins or some user personas are actually like they can connect the dots themselves and have that conversation and it's fine and some can't mm -hmm. or it's harder and the same goes for the the economic buyers right some of them right. can connect the dots themselves they don't need somebody to to make a translation but some of them do and so you know when you as as a marketer you know or as a founder as the vendor who who wants them to buy your your thing or pay you money, the easier that it, you make it, the better it is for everyone involved because you can can ensure it's like you're asking them to do less work, mm -hmm. and that that helps makes it more likely that everyone's going to get the right message. So I have a somewhat controversial question, which is. <laughs> 
because, you know, Red Hat is known for relationship with open source. And I talk about open source a lot. But do you even use the M word when you talk about open source projects? Like, how, how do you think about the relationship between marketing and open source? So this is where wearing multiple hats, or in Red Hat's case, uh, fedoras, I suppose, comes into play. Because I see myself as a sysadmin first, an open source advocate second, and then my career, luckily, has shifted to where all of that kind of overlays what I do as a day job. Let me slow myself down here. Otherwise, I'll just confuse everyone, most of all myself. So first of all, I'll take it from a Red Hat perspective. And then second, I'll, I'll take it from an Eric, the IT guy perspective. So Red Hat does do a ton of work in upstream. Red Hat engineers are some of the most active when it comes to the Linux kernel, to OpenSSL, to a lot of the upstream projects that RHEL and OpenShift and some of our other products are dependent upon. A lot of times you see Red Hat engineers being in the top contributors list. So Red Hat definitely practices what it preaches when it comes to promoting the upstream from an engineering perspective. And we could have a whole other episode on Eric's opinion of small community open source projects and, and the marketing problem that we have. But Red Hat is kind of trying to fix that visibility problem from a few different directions, not just from an engineering perspective, but also Red Hat is actively a part of a number of the leadership committees for some of the different upstream communities, not the least of which is Fedora. Fedora is the upstream to Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and the Fedora project leader, the FPL, is actually a Red Hat employee. Now, he's, there's checks and balances in place. Red Hat can only hold so many of the, the leadership positions. I don't want to give too many examples, but because I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly what checks and balances are there, but Red Hat does have a big presence in the Fedora community, but we're not the only company that does. Facebook has some. I think Google has some. I'd have to double check on Google, but but Red Hat isn't the only one with an interest in Fedora. And so a lot of Red Hat's sort of community marketing efforts are driven through those, those upstream communities. So Red Hat has partnerships with groups like the Linux Foundation, sits in on a lot of the interest groups that some of your big technology companies all get together and, and talk. Red Hat has people that work as Red Hat employees, but work full time on the upstream repositories like Apple and Fedora, and they, they produce release notes and announcement blogs and that kind of thing. So Red Hat is very involved in that. And that's something that I'm helping steer with Red Hat Enterprise Linux is trying to be in more of those watering holes, like being active on Reddit, on Stack Exchange, on communication platforms like Matrix, trying to be more actively involved in the community, not just as a contributor, but e even as a thought leader. So the other side of that question is what I see personally. One of the reasons why I got into podcasting uh, as part of the open source community was there is definitely a marketing problem when it comes to the community telling other technologists that the community is out there. I mean, it took me years to realize that the open source community wasn't just you know, a buzzword of its own. The open source community was actually a group of people that did a thing. And when I got into podcasting, I didn't think of it at the time. But when I got into podcasting, I was actually getting into marketing for open source communities. I'd mentioned that I ran social media for a summer for the Gnome Foundation and ran uh, social media for their annual developers conference in Denver. So I didn't realize it then, but I was already doing marketing work for the open source community. So I, I think that open source does still have a bit of a marketing problem. It's hard to, especially if you are a one or two person development team and you have this, this project that solves a big issue 
and you've promoted it within your own company to fix an issue, but you want to get more eyes on it. You want to, you think this could be productized or you think that even if nothing else, maybe it could be used as a building block for products across the entire ecosystem. How do you go from being a one or two person volunteer and you're saying organization wouldn't, wouldn't even be accurate because you're just you and a buddy that spend time developing code on the weekends. How do you go from there to, hey, open source community, here I am. I've got this thing. I want to tell you about it so you can go check it out, so you can go add code to it. You know, How do you fix that problem when you have no marketing presence, you don't have a social media presence, and you're an engineer, you're a developer, you want to build a thing, you don't want to see if people are, are reading your, your blog posts? Yeah, it's funny because you, you say that, like, what do you do? It's like, well, the obvious thing is you tell people about it, but, you know, it's easy to say and it's actually hard to do. Mm-hmm. And I was also thinking, you know, if, if people have like a mental block around the word marketing, then <laughs> right. I even think like, well, the key to getting your open source out there is DevRel. And then once you're thinking more about like, I'm going to have an open source startup or something like that. Like that's when you really start to cross the sort of invisible line that even I don't really know where to put mm-hmm. into marketing. But open source is is definitely like a like a classic sort of DevRel situation because there's no buyer. I think that actually mm-hmm. might be the distinction in my mind is like, you don't have to think about any kind of economic buyer. They're just not part of the picture. You're not looking for a buyer in terms of dollars, but you are a lot of times these projects are looking for users, for champions, for QA. So you're you're asking people to give of their time or you're asking them to, in one form or another, invest in your project. So you may not have an economic buyer, but you definitely have a lot of stakeholders. Oh, totally. And even as I was saying that, I realized like I can think of examples where even when no money is exchanged, if you are talking about a project that's going to be really foundational or be really critical, that's going to run in production, you can't as just an IC get that. You can't just like fall in love with this project and then do it for your like 10,000 person organization. You have to (laughs) get somebody to sign off and say, yes, I think that that's, that's a good idea. If you're out there and you're considering a startup, Try running a an open source community project. <laughs> and I think that'll give you a fairly decent idea of uh, of what to expect from all the different roles and responsibilities, and then double or triple it because then if you're if you're a startup or if you're looking to begin a startup, then you have the the financial aspect of it as as well. Then you are asking the question, how do I get people to invest dollars in something that for six, nine, twelve months or two years isn't going to make any money? Yeah, that is a very interesting comparison. In some ways, you know, I actually think in some ways startups have it easier. The first thing being, I'm not being facetious. I I think the first thing is that, you know, a lot of people, quite frankly, would rather pay money than spend time. And so you have kind of a simpler ask when you're selling something than when you're doing open source. And your ask is more like, I, I want you to invest. I want you to invest your time. I want you to be like sort of emotionally invested in this project, which is which is really the ask. Right. And that's way greater than like, hey, I'd like you to pay me a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's so much harder to measure measure emotional investment. 
Yes. And I, I really do think that that's what a lot of open source communities are are asking for, at least on a, on a certain level. I don't know. Do you agree? Yeah. I'd... Maybe not all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not all, but I'd, I'd say for a huge, a huge chunk of open source projects, I would have to agree that that's that's kind of the big ask. And that's that's probably the resource that is most scarce. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, it, especially if you're looking at something foundational, something that would get it built into a kernel or get built into the operating system at some scale, I would say that'd be even harder because it's so much more difficult to see. If you build a web app that makes it easier to sell a thing, that's very visible. That's The value is readily apparent. But if you're doing something much more under the covers, you know, the deeper you get into the tech stack, the harder it's going to be to get people to emotionally invest in your thing. There's a project out there, WireGuard, that is almost a reimagined VPN protocol. And I hate to do that because it does a disservice to VPN. But, you know, WireGuard's got some some new ideas. It's built on a different technology set than VPN. And, and you know, how do you get somebody to emotionally invest in your thing where, as far as the end user is concerned, just it doesn't matter if it's WireGuard, OpenVPN, or any other VPN service, I, I put in my username and my password, I hit connect, and then I can get access to all my work things. So even something that deep into the tech stack, how do you even go about getting somebody to invest in you? Yeah, true. But I think there can, there can definitely be people really foundational, for example, I mean, with, with Linux, for example, that, that people do get very emotionally invested in. And we're, we're definitely a very passionate bunch in the, in the, Linux, mm -hmm. in the Linux community. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, I actually had one more question, which is related to sort of your transition into marketing and the reasons that you outlined for why you wanted to go into marketing is actually that's very parallel to what a lot of founders say about why they wanted to start a company. And mm -hmm. that is feeling like they wanted to sort of amplify their their ability to make an impact in a way that's just not possible if you continue to be an engineer. And I'm just curious, you know, for listeners, like another message that we repeat on this podcast is the journey of, of starting a company is not for everyone and that's okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to sort of ask again, how is it that you're able to have a more of an impact in your current role than you ever would or felt like you would as just an IC? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's my understanding of platforms and I don't mean technology platforms, but the ability to the the term that that we use, and I think people kind of cringe at the the buzzword is how do you influence? How do you be an influencer? Like you say, DevRel, and I I feel like I need to I need to start a hashtag of OpsRel because uh, I I feel like a lot of times that's what I'm doing is operations relations. So I think if, if you're looking at how to make an impact, it's having the experience to speak authentically. It's having a place where you can be heard because I could have the most passionate delivery of, of a keynote speech ever. But if I'm screaming out into, into an open field and no one hears me, what's, what's the point? And it's how do you authentically connect with people? How do you engage with someone? And it's, I don't want to say you, you need to create trust. You, you really need to authentically connect and build trust with, with a group of people. And as a marketer, and some people were kind of surprised that I went from sales to marketing just because people in sales have this this bad reputation of being at all only for the money. 
but uh, I, I kind of limited my earning potential a little bit by going from sales to marketing. But I did it because I love the engagement. I love talking to people. I love learning what are your problems? What are you working on? Have you tried anything cool lately? And then going to a conference, especially hanging out, chatting, hanging out in, in virtual happy hours across the community and, and talking about, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything, honestly, but if that's really that kind of a problem, if it's really keeping you away from your family, then how about I'm here in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a webinar. Why don't you sign up, hang out with, with me for an hour and, and see what you think. And if, if you're interested, sure, I could put you in touch with someone who is much more capable of continuing that conversation. But for me, it's as a marketer, it's it's like addition versus multiplication. So as a marketer, I feel like I can multiply my impact. One of the things that I've I've been noted to do is with our marketing materials in the last couple of releases, a lot of my experience is brought into the materials that we make. For instance, we've been releasing a web console for managing our, our operating system. And so each release, there's a slide that talks about the new features and that kind of thing. But this last time, one of my favorite slides in the entire deck is there's a did you know slide because I just learned a few weeks ago that the web console actually has a mobile version. So if you pull up you know, Firefox or Chrome or something on your iPhone, you can actually manage a Red Hat Enterprise Linux box through the web console right on your phone. And so I was excited about it and I wanted to tell somebody else about it. And if someone's trying to decide if they want to use the web console or not, now they've got another reason to it. I only put it in there because I found it interesting as, as someone who's, who's had to pull out his laptop. And of course, I did this back in the day when you, when you had to boot up your laptop, you had your phone sitting on, your, on the dashboard of your car on speaker, and you had your hotspot sitting on top of the steering wheel, and you're waiting for everything to connect. If I could just connect to a VPN over my phone and hit the web console, then that's, that's so much time and effort saved. And because I've had that experience, we can now promote that feature and so I can tell our sales team, I can tell our, our technology team, I can tell some of our champions in, inside our customers, and I can put it out on live stream. And so I get to share my experiences with so many more people. And I live for the days when someone will put a comment on a YouTube video and go, I cannot believe you just did a video about this. We're fighting with this very same security problem at work or whatever. And you know, this 30-minute live stream changed how somebody's dealing with a problem at work. So when I moved from ops to sales and then into marketing, I really feel like that is short of starting my own company. That is the biggest platform I can imagine. Cool. All right. Well, Eric, how can listeners connect with you or learn more or follow you? Sure. You can go to my website, itguyeric.com or go to your social media platform of choice. I'm probably there and I probably have the same handle. So it's Twitter at IT Guy Eric. My website and my Twitter handle are probably the two easiest ones. And then uh, you can also see some of the work I'm doing on a daily basis at REL on Twitter, R-H-E-L for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. We also have a live stream that you can find through Twitter every other week called REL Presents and then another one called Into the Terminal. So if you want to learn more about Linux or learn more about the REL platform, I host both of those on a, on a recurring basis as well. Excellent. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. I, I didn't realize just how much what I was doing as a marketer impacted the founder mindset as well. So I'm, I'm glad we dove into this. I learned a few things. <laughs> Excellent. Fabulous. Thank you so much. For sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cloud Native Startup. If you'd like to learn more about positioning, messaging, and go-to-market for open source and cloud-native startups, head over to my blog, positioningopensource.com. 
You can also join the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Emily O'Meara, and you can feel free to reach out on Twitter or on my website and blog with questions or comments. If you enjoyed this episode, also please share and help more people discover this podcast. Thank you, and we hope to have you next week.